Thank you, James. Bless you. Wow. Thank you. I'm touched by your words. I'm just going to bring this back a little bit. Um, and you know, it's, uh, I'm really excited about this because I'm excited about the word. And there's a couple other people that are excited about the word, so we're going to have a good time. Um, but you know, I'm excited for many reasons, and I really feel God's impregnated me with a special message for you guys. Uh, but also, my time in Manchester these last three years, when I look back on my life, I think I will see them as a wilderness period. And uh, from going from pastoring a church to coming up here and God making me do a PhD and having to spend all day reading dead philosophers was a real period of wilderness for my life. And I'm excited to be here today to preach to you, to minister to you, to be with one of my best friends, James, because prayer storm in this community has been an oasis in the wilderness of my life. And you know, wildernesses are not something to be scared of. In fact, many of the greatest lessons in my life I've learned over this period. Everyone wants to have pearls to cast before people, but no one wants to have that awkward bit of sand in their mouth that's irritating them and agitating them and forcing them to contend. So I'm excited today because I love you guys, because I'm, I love prayer storm and I love what God is doing. But you know, also, uh, many years ago, God told me to start preaching without notes. And I said, obviously, you know, God, if you want to preach without notes, that's fine. As for me and my house, we shall preach with notes. And I even contend, I said, Jesus, the one record we have of you preaching in a synagogue, you read from the scriptures. Hip, no, 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 I'm not going to call it hip, hip. But about six months after that, like many of us in this room, after a while, like the second son, we got ourselves into a place of obedience, amen? And I preached without notes, and it was one of the best messages I've ever preached. And the reason is, is when you step out of the boat of your comfort zone, and into obedience of what God is calling you to do. It allows you to step out of a way in a way that allows him to step in the way and work through you. But I just want to give you a word of encouragement, not just for tonight, but any time that you come to church, any time you come to prayer storm. Believe God that your preacher is pregnant with a word from God for you. Has anybody given birth in this place today? Now, you can only do the pushing, but who knows? Amen. Who knows? It's good to have some help. And you know, the reality is you can be pregnant with something in the spirit, but still give birth to a stillborn. And so I just want to encourage you today, put your expectations not on me or someone's communications ability, but put your expectations up that God is wanting to speak to people today. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay. Just because James is African. Okay. And I'm white. Just because of that fact doesn't mean that we have to act like we're in an Anglican church today, okay? I may not be African, but you can preach like a Jamaican. You can amen like a Jamaican. Amen. Amen. You know, I'm not going to be up here today and be like, Dear brethren and beloved of God, we gather here on this auspicious occasion. Amen. Okay, no, maybe next time. So I'm really excited because I feel God has got a word for us today, and I feel it's just going to bless you, and I really do feel it's going to be defining. So you ready to receive it? I said, you ready to receive it? Amen, because I'm ready to give birth. (laughs) Has anyone ever had one of those occasions in your life where God has spoken to you really clearly? Just put your hand up. One of those occasions where you can think back and you know exactly where you were. You can remember how you were feeling. You can remember what you were wearing. You can be there right now when you remember what God was saying. I had one of those experiences about nine months ago. I was talking with my friend James Aladrin. You might know him. He's a nice enough guy. He's pretty serious sometimes, and it's hard to do small talk with him, but he's a really, really, really godly man. 
And he was talking to me, and he was talking about a story that Lou Engel uh, spoke to him about God doing things in America, and Lou was just like, people are going to Toronto, people are going to Reading, people are going to all these places, I might as well just pack up and just follow where God is. And a prophetess lady came to him and said, Lou, there is a well beneath your feet, dig it. And the moment James said those words, the Holy Spirit said to me, you too. And I'm here to pass on the message to tell you that there is a well beneath your feet if you will dig it. And so I want the message tonight to be, will you dig your well? Turn around to someone and say, dig it. Turn around to someone else and say, dig big or go home, baby. Now, when James gave me that, God just stirred something up in my heart. And I went away, and I did a study on wells, and what I found absolutely blew me away. It was one of those studies, you ever done one of those studies, and it's two o'clock at night, and you study, and it just all comes together, and you just stand up, and you're just like, Jesus. <laughs> Whew, that is, I literally stood up for my study, I was like, God, you are amazing, I just started worshipping God. Because wells are a vital symbol all the way through the Bible. And you see... When God wanted to communicate to the people of God the role of salvation in their lives, he called up a prophet, Jeremiah, who said to the people, you with joy will short, shall draw waters from the wells of your salvation. When Solomon wanted to chat up his girlfriend in the Songs of Solomon, he said, you are like fresh waters from a living well, like the rivers that go through, uh, go through Lebanon. Clearly where I've been going wrong myself. But when God wants to speak through a prophet, Ezekiel, against the enemies of God, he says, I will block up your wells. When Jesus wanted to tell uh, the people about the coming move of the Spirit, he said, the Spirit will come like rivers coming out of your innermost being. When John was taken up to heaven and saw the unfathomable truths of the life to come after this life, he proclaimed that the angel showed him a river of living water like a sea of crystals flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. When Nehemiah wanted to rebuild the city walls, he appointed a special man who was called the man of peace to build a wall around the wells of Jerusalem. When the Philistines wanted to get rid of Abraham, do you know what they did? They didn't fight him in open battle. They blocked up his wells. When God wanted to rebuke his people for leaving him, do you know what he said? He said, my people have committed two sins. They have left me the fountain of living water and they have built for themselves shizens and shizens that are broken. God speaks through wells. Yeah, you see, wells are what um, anthropologists call a dead symbol. It's something we understand mentally, but it doesn't grip our imagination anymore. Has anybody in this place ever built a well? You ever dug a well? No. Has anyone ever traveled 60 miles and thought, right, we're traveling 60 miles, where are the wells on our journey? We live in a tap world where we don't have to think about access for water. And when you don't have to think about it, you take it for granted. When you take for granted what other people have paid for, you don't appreciate what you have, and you look for things that are of second importance because you've been given the primary important things in life. But the 
symbol of water in the Bible symbolizes the presence of God. It symbolizes the presence of God. Why? Because water, even though you don't think about it that much, is the most important substance in your life. There is nothing else, no other substance, that if you don't partake of it for three days, you will die. That is the end of you. And we forget our dependence on it. And so when we read the scriptures, we are reading a key to revelation that is no longer gripping our imagination. And when it no longer grips our imagination, it stops us from unlocking doors of revelation that God is trying to open to communicate to you, to change your attitude, to get you into a position where he can not just bless you, but he can move through you. Is anybody ready to learn something about some wells today? You ready, Pastor Joe? Amen. Amen. I want to ask you, what is the condition of your well? Your wells are your access point to the presence of God. I don't want to know how good your theology is. I want to know what is the condition of your wells. I don't want to know if you can tell me the difference between the Partuatech and the, uh, and, and, and the rest of the New Testament. I want to know what is the condition of your wells. I don't want to know if you can go through the church circus and say the scriptures even before the preacher has finished saying them. I want to ask you, what is the condition of your wells? I don't want to know how long you've been saved. I want to know today, what is the condition of your wells? You see, when you depart from the wells, you become dehydrated. They did a survey and they found that 70% of people in the Western world are dehydrated. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? My granddad was in the RAF, and he served in a little country just at the bottom of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. And one day when he was going back to his base, he got a little bit lost. Who's ever been lost? Yeah, okay, look, a man is confessing that he was lost once, all right? We've just seen Holy Ghost breakthrough right there, amen? Can all get home. And he got lost. Now, when we get lost, it just, all we lose is time. But because he lived in the same era that Abraham, David, and the New Testament was written, he suffered a more dangerous situation. He began to get chronically dehydrated. And four things happened to him that represent also happening to us when we allow our spirits to get dehydrated. The first thing, this was amazing, is that his vision actually went black and white. His vision lost his color. And there may be some people in here today that you're no longer excited about the future. Maybe there are some churches in this place that are happy to go through routine, happy to go through the everyday malfunction of life because their vision has lost color. They're no longer excited and energetic because when you're dehydrated, you lose the capacity of your vision. The second thing that happened was he started to get confused. Because his brain, our brains are so dependent upon being hydrated that he was unable to make good decisions and he got even more lost. When we don't have the flow of the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we allow ourselves to have churches that do not prioritize the presence of God, when we are not like the people that say, God, I'm not moving from your presence, we begin to allow our confusion to reign. I know I've made bad decisions, but I also know that when my life is filled with the flow of the Holy Spirit, I can make decisions that weigh above my pay grade. I can make decisions that way above my IQ. I can make decisions that way above my level of education because I have a source that is beyond me. But when I'm dehydrated, like we all have been, we make terrible decisions. 
The third thing is he lost energy and he starts to get lethargic. He sat down. And in that same way, when your body is dehydrated, it starts to shut down and you lose energy and lethargy. And maybe there are people in here today that you are not as excited about the things of God as you were when you were younger. Maybe prayer storm is a community that needs to speak up and be a well for churches in this country that lack energy and lack enthusiasm. Come on, of people that are as excited when they're at Old Trafford as when they are in church, amen, who are as excited about everything else in life. And when it comes to God, there is such passion and energy because they're living a hydrated life because their wells are free. The fourth thing that happens when you're dehydrated is you stop sweating. Now, some of you might think that's a good thing. But you see, your skin's way of purifying your body is to to get out all of the toxins, all of the waste through your skin. And when you no longer sweat, watch this, you've lost your purification process. You see, the Bible says this, that you may be washed with the water of the word. When you are tender in his presence and your well is flowing freely, there is a sense of cleansing. You don't have to do anything big sin. You don't have to be a bad, mad, sad individual. But I can tell you, just being in this world, just working from nine to five, you're going to rub up against some people. Have you ever been to London and come home at night after London and you wash your face and you're like, am I turning color, Lord? Because just being in the environment that you are, you pick up things that you need to have that continual refreshing presence of the Spirit of God in your life to just free you, to just cleanse you. But when you're dehydrated, the cleansing process gets clogged up. What is the condition of your well? I don't know about you, I want to be a hydrated Christian. I want to be a hydrated Christian. And you know what? I feel this, I've I've changed this message a little bit from the James, uh, so the message that James heard me preach, because I got before God and I said, God, what do you want to speak to this people? What's the fresh manner you want to give to this people? And I believe God is wanting to throw down a challenge to us, not just as individuals, but as a community. And this is part of the challenge I feel he wants to challenge every single one of us with. Are you willing to have a well that sustains only you? Are you willing to just dig deep enough to get your blessing, to get breakthrough in your finances, to make sure your family are okay, to make sure that you're living a nice Christian, comfortable life, or are you willing to break through for other people? You see, we live in the most selfish generation, and it's bled into the church. I love church history, and I can say with all of my heart that I believe the Western church at this moment is the most selfish it has ever been, because we have a consumer Christianity that if the preacher doesn't tick my boxes, if the church isn't warm, if you dare go over 12 o'clock, I'm out of here, and I'll go down the road to the other supermarket, I mean church. And we live in a generation that says, what is it in for me? And I'm not having a go because we live in that environment every day, every day, every day when we shop, when we buy, when we work. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And so when we come to our relationship with God, it's easy to not change our attitude and say, God, what do you want me to do? What kind of people will we be? Will we dig wells deep enough just ourselves? See, I love the Apostle Paul. He writes to Timothy and he says this. He says, Even now, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. Man, I want to be able to say that. 
I want to be able to say, James, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. I don't want to say I woke up this morning just enough to get by, but when I went to pour out my life, the cup was empty. I don't want to live an empty cup Christianity. That is not the person I want to be. And sometimes I think one of the problems in our Christianity is that we don't understand fear. Fear is healthy when you are in awe, fear filled of the Lord. And there are some scriptures that send tingles down my spine. There are some scriptures that cut you up. If you are handling the sword of the word and it doesn't cut you sometimes, you may have blunted the greatest instrument that God has got for you. You have to allow the word to cut you. Do you know one of the scriptures that every time I read it, I'm like, ah, Lord, I'm done. First Peter 2, no, 2 Peter 2.17. Peter says this, they were wells without water. They were mists driven by the winds. I don't want someone to come to my life thirsty, broke, drunk, needing a touch of God, just like the woman with the issue of blood, and just touch the garment of my church, touch the garment of prayer storm, touch the garment of our meetings, touch the garment of my life, and nothing happened because I was a waterless well. One of the other scriptures that scared the heck out of me is Revelations 3.1. When Jesus comes to the church, not to the sinners, to the church, and he says this, I know your works. Oh, yeah? And you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Therefore, cut off the things that are dead, so that that which is alive may remain. Come on, I'm for you guys. I love you guys. Many of you are some of my best friends. But I fear being a person where God has an encounter with me and he says, everyone else thinks you're alive because you're good at communicating. Everyone thinks you're alive because you're up there with your hands filled up and, and, and worship me. Everyone else thinks that you're alive because you do this Christian activity or you say this thing or you repost Bill Johnson on Facebook. Everyone thinks you're on fire for God, but I know your works. You are a waterless well. I do not want to be that. I want to be a group of people that dig so deep that there is not just water for me because Proverbs chapter 10 verse 11 says this, the mouth of a righteous man is a fountain of life. That is the testimony that I want for myself. That is the testimony that God wants for prayer storm as a movement. That is the testimony that God wants for your church, that the righteous are a fountain of life. I want to ask if people drink from you, what do they get? I want my life to be a fountain of life. The Bible also says in Proverbs 13, 15, I think it is, it says the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. Who will dig these wells? God is asking us as a prayer storm movement, will we dig wells for other people? You see, the children of Israel were walking through the desert, the dry place, and they came across a place called Elim. Elim means tall trees. What it is saying is in the middle of the desert, there was a place where the trees could grow tall. Everywhere else, it was just small little bushes or sand. But there was a place in Elim where the trees could grow tall. Why? Because there were 12 wells. 
God doesn't need hundreds of thousands of people to lay everything down on the altar and say, I will lay down my life for this country, for this church, for this nation, for my people. Even 12 people that will dig to the death are enough for God to create an Elim. And I believe God is calling us as a group to be an Elim group of people. To be a gathering together of springs. Because if it was just one spring here and one well there, there wouldn't be enough for tall trees. But when we come together and your gift adds to my gift and my gift adds to your gift. And if you're in here today and say, I don't know if I really have a gift. I'm here to tell you that that's a lie. And if you say it, you are lining up with the king of lies. Because the Bible says this in 1 Peter 4.10. It says, as each. Is there any eaches in here today? Are you in each here today? As each has received a special supernatural gift from God, so use it in advancing yourself in your career. So use it so people think you are dead spiritual man. So use it so you look good when you stand up in front of people. No, as the gift of God, and that word gift is charisma, charis, it means supernatural, God-given gift. That gift that is inside of you, will you dig it? Why? So that you can serve one another. Will we be a people that will dig the wells? Will we be a people that will dig the wells? I was in India a while ago, and uh, four months, it was amazing, and I went to this city called Fatapura. Cool name, eh? Fatapura. Fatapura. And uh, it was a beautiful, incredible city, a palace. And what happened is um, the guy, great-granddad of the guy who built the Taj Mahal, he lived in Delhi. He was the king. And he decided he was going to build himself a new capital. And so he built, spent everything he had, all these treasures, all these riches on this incredible palace, this incredible building, these walls, these houses. It was amazing. And he moved his capital to Fatapura. And seven years later, it was deserted. Do you know what? Because he misestimated how much water was in the springs. He built something to glorify himself that he didn't dig deep enough to sustain. Some people in here, we want revival. We want a blessing. We want a car. We want a marriage. We want a big church. We want whatever it is. I don't know. But we can build something on the outside that is so magnificent, but we haven't built the wells in ourselves to sustain it. When I was at Fatapura, I was like, man, I feel like I'm in some British churches. We have some of the most beautiful churches in the world. I mean, beautiful. And 15 people gather there on a Sunday. The outside's good, but where are the wells? And the challenge for us today is, will we be a group of well diggers? Or will we drink of somebody else's water? I want to go to John chapter 4. It's a great scripture. Many of you know about it. It's uh, Jesus coming to meet the Samaritan woman at the well. And why don't you go to verse 10? Does anyone in here want to know a little bit about wells? All right, okay. We turned into an Anglican church. That's fine. Do any of the Pentecostals in here want to know how we're going to dig these wells if God is calling? Does anyone want to know? Amen. So let's unpack wells right now. John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answered her and said, If only you knew the gift of God, if only you knew how to do this, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, watch this, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. The first step to digging wells is to ask, is to ask, 
is to ask, is to humble yourself and recognize my own spiritual poverty because blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because it is the poor in spirit that recognize their dependence upon God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and cry out and ask, then I will come. If you only knew how God worked, if you only knew what he wanted to do, you would have asked, Jesus says. I want to jump down to verse 14 because Jesus continues talking about this living water. And you know, it's really interesting. Living water is instantly understood by Jews because there's a difference between normal water and living water. Do you know what it is? Living water was water from a river, water from the sea that was moving. And it was only living water that was suitable for the ceremonial cleansing that allowed you to go into the Holy of Holies. Watch this. Jesus is saying, you're, you're drinking stale water. You have to come back each time. I will give you living water that will cleanse you from the inside out. Jesus is talking about a water that will clean you, that will transform you. And verse 14, he says, whoever drinks of this living water that I will give to him shall never thirst. But the water I will give to him will become, watch this, a well in him springing up to eternal life. Say in him. Say in him. Put your hand on your belly and say in him. Jesus says this and it's easy to miss what I believe is an incredible revelation right now. The, the, The woman tries to change the subject by talking about a theological debate about locations. He says, you're a Jew. You worship in Jerusalem at the temple. We're Samaritans. We worship at the top of the hill. I'm here today coming to Jacob's well. She's arguing about locations. She's talking about locations. Lord, how do you access God? Where do you go to access God? And Jesus totally bypasses her theological question and says, there is coming a day when the well isn't in Jerusalem. Come on, I'm going to preach now. The well isn't in Toronto. The well isn't in South Wales. The well isn't in Reading. The well isn't in South Africa. There is coming a day where you don't have to allow the excuse in your life that you're not in the right location physically because there is a well that is in you that will spring up for eternal life. You don't have to drink. You don't have to be thirsty, sorry. You don't have to go to Reading to get a drink. You don't have to go to Toronto to get a drink. You don't have to wait till T.D. Jakes is preaching in London before you access the well of living water because it is in you. And so often, if we're honest, and I love revival. I love revival preaching. Man, I love studying the tent revivals. I love, I love all of that. But if we're honest... We can turn ourselves into rain dancers. A rain dancer does a dance, does a ceremony, does a whatever. I'm not going to dance where I can see fear gripping people's mouths. In order to persuade a God to send rain, we live in a different dispensation. Jesus is saying there's a time coming where the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. In fact, John chapter 7, he says, is anybody thirsty? Come to me and out of his belly shall run trickles of water. No, 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 baby. Streams of living water. You don't have to go anywhere for a drink. You are a drink. 
I said, you don't have to go anywhere for a drink. You are a drink. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times we come to one another to encourage and sharpen. Of course we do. But I'm talking about a lifestyle choice. I'm talking about a mentality of trying to shift God, of trying to persuade God, of trying to convince and manipulate God. When God is saying, I've given you the Holy Spirit. Why don't you use it? Why don't you dig out the gift that's in you? Why don't you dig out the life that's in you? Why don't you get through it and allow yourself to be well instead of asking me for just ascending rain? Now, there is something powerful about crying out to God. Don't get me wrong. But there is this really powerful scripture that I think is, is amazing. Genesis chapter 7 verse 11. It is in the middle of Noah being the righteous man of God, when God wants to cleanse the earth, when he wants to do a new thing, when he wants to send revival, you know what the scripture says in Genesis chapter 7, verse 11? I love this. It says, and he opened up the wells of the great deep. Man, that's just a preaching verse right there. He opened up the wells of the great deep and opened up the heavens. When God wants to do something, he doesn't just require him opening up the heavens. He requires people like me and you of flesh and blood, like Elijah, getting on our knees, putting our head between our feet, our legs, and crying out like the prophet, crying out like Hannah, and saying, God, Build this well in me. Let it spring forth. Whatever you've got to do, wherever I've got to be. Because when the heavens open, there can be a refreshing. And there's been many refreshings in the body of Christ that have come. And three months later, you never knew that they happened. But when the heavens open and God finds a people who will open up themselves and dig out a well that is underneath them, there will be such a washing and a changing that people will talk about it from generation after generation. Who will dig these wells? Who will dig these wells? You know, we are a privileged generation because we stand on the shoulders of giants. Go to uh, Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. This is a great verse. Man, are you guys having fun? Is God speaking to you and challenging you? Amen. I love this. Genesis chapter 26. Oh, Lord. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water, which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. Thank you. Watch this. Isaac dug again the wells. The past generation died. The Smith Wigglesworths died. The George Jeffreys died. The Evan Roberts died died. The Kenneth Hagans died. The Bill Brights died. And the Philistines stopped up the wells. Do you know what Philistine means? It means alien. It means that person that has no right to occupy. There are Philistines in our lives that have no right in your mind, have no right in your priorities, have no right in our lives. And God is waiting for a people that will stand up and say it might be permissible, but is it beneficial? Because it is the Philistines, and this is the thing, God, the devil is not after your money, man. He has got loads of it. The devil isn't after that. He's not after your blessing. He wants to block up your well. Stop your intimacy with God. He wants to fill it up with a bad attitude. He wants to fill it up with a fence about that pastor didn't do this. He wants to fill it up with that church. They're always going on about money or they're always going on about this. And they never. He wants to fill it up with pornography. 
He wants to fill it up with an addiction to entertainment so that you can't pray for longer than 15 minutes before you're so bored out of your brain that you've got to check your Facebook. He wants to fill it up with a desire to prosper and advance and all these wonderful things because when he fills it up with a busyness of a Martha spirit, he knows you can go about the work of God and lose contact with God and soon you will break off from God and you will no longer be a danger to him. The enemy is after after your wells. The number one conflict point in your life isn't your finances. It isn't yourself. It is your wells. What is the condition of your wells, guys? What is the condition of your wells? It is your biggest conflict zone. And Isaac did the work of redigging again the wells of his father. But when Isaac's servants dug the valley, he found there a well of flowing water. But the herdsmen of Gur quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, the water's ours. So he named it Isk, because they contended with him. The enemy is contending over your well. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one too. So he named it Shitna. He moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. Come on. He got to a place in his spiritual well where there was peace. I worry for Christians that want to be happy really do because we watch lovely inspiring films like the pursuit of happiness and we think being happy is having lots of money and being a stockbroker but I'm here to tell you like I've had to tell many people in counseling meetings and discipleship meetings God is not that concerned about your happiness I know it doesn't preach good I know if I write a book about it no one's gonna buy it but it's true still God is not that worried about how happy you are. He never promises you happiness, but he does promise you what the world can never give you. He promises you peace. He promises you peace. And when he broke through to the well of peace, the enemy could no longer contend with him. I'll tell you what, if we had some Pentecostals in this place, we'd be running around the building. (laughs) Have you dug to the point of peace in your life? Verse 23. Then he went up there to Bathsheba, and the Lord appeared to him that same night. Beersheba is one of the most significant places in the Old Testament. It is a well that Abraham dug. Now watch this. This, is, this, is, this blew my mind. Beersheba, Beer means well. And Beersheba means well of the oath or well of the oath of sacrifice. And Abraham first dug it. And when he dug it, do you know what he did? He slaughtered a lamb. Seven lambs, in fact. Seven being the number of God. He slaughtered seven lambs. Lambs, blood, was shed. And then he made an oath and a covenant before God. Number two. And then he planted a tree. And out of that, a well came forward. We have a sacrificed lamb. We have a tree. We have a well. Does anyone see the symbols of the gospel starting to gather together? Because Beersheba is a symbol of the church of God that brings forth the water of God that Abraham prophesied with his actions years ago because he was willing to dig. We live in the light of Abraham's sacrifice, in the shadow of the tree 
beauty of the cross of Christ who paid the ultimate sacrifice to dig the biggest well that's ever been, ever been built so that we can live in the blessing. The well of sacrifice is so powerful that Beersheba is one of the only ancient cities that is still occupied today. Now, today, you can get on a flight and you can go to Beersheba because Abraham's sacrifice was so significant, so powerful, so deep, so honourable before God that people still drink from him. I want to ask you, in the generations to come, who will drink from your sacrifice? I want to ask us as a prayer what sacrifice will we make before God? That our Isaacs, our spiritual children, our natural children can re-dig and drink deep from. What will you dig? There's four things that I just want to highlight that Beersheba stands for. Beersheba is an incredible place. The first one is Beersheba. You study the Bible. Beersheba stands for encounters with God. Abraham encountered God. Guess where? Beersheba. We just read here, Isaac encountered the living God. Where? At Beersheba. Isaac's son, Jacob, even though he was a sojourner, he came to the well of Beersheba and he, guess what? He encountered God. In fact, it was when he was leaving Beersheba that he encountered God in a ladder coming up and down with an open heavens. Beersheba was a place of open heavens because of the sacrifice of Isaac. Beersheba, your well stands for encounters. Hagar, when she thought she was going to die, when she'd ran away from God. Has anyone ever ran away from God? You don't have to put your hands up right now. And she thought she was going to die. And her eyes were open. God opened up her eyes and she saw the well at Beersheba. Beersheba is the encounter place. Your well is the encounter place. And I just want to encourage you, don't seek for spectacular encounters. Seek for intimate encounters. I know that spectacular encounters preach better. I know they look better on Facebook. But I would prefer to have the continual intimate encounter of the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit in my life than an occasional dramatic encounter that I can boast about, puff my head up, and get all pride and allow people to think I'm more spiritual than I am. Now, there was a time that wasn't always true, but praise God, James is helping me to stay there. I want to say this. Not just individuals, as a group of people. Are we going to dig a Beersheba where prayer becomes a place of encounter? That's the challenge. What will you sacrifice? The second thing that Beersheba stands for, which is incredible, that wells stand for, is fruitful encounters, fruitful relationships. Guess where Isaac's wife was met? At a well. When Isaac first saw his wife, because he was too cool to date himself, so, um, you know, his father's servant dated for him, she met him at a wife, and when she came, when he saw her, guess where he came from? He came from a place called the well of the vision of life. Man, when you have God's vision for your life, you will find divine encounters. You see, in today's age, finding a wife, finding a husband stands for romance, stands for intimacy and connection, all those wonderful, lovely things, la, 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 la. But in the Bible, it stands for a fruitful relationship. Rightly or wrongly, a woman standing in the ancient world was based on how many children she provided her husband, how fruitful she was. Wells stand for a place of encountering fruitful relationships. Jacob met his wife where? At a well. Moses met his wife where? At a well. 
The Samaritan woman met her spiritual husband, Jesus, where? At a well. When you hang out at wells, when you sacrifice, when you dig your well, you will make relationships that will be fruitful beyond you. Who will dig these wells? The third thing that wells stand for through the New Testament is a place of refreshing. Elijah, when he was running from the woman that swore that she would kill him, when he was tired and worn out and said, God, I can go no further, guess where he found himself? Beersheba. And you know what? We often talk about Elijah doing a 40-day fast. That's half true, that's half not true. The Bible shows us that it was at Beersheba that the angels ministered to him, fed him so well, he didn't need to eat for 40 days. I can do that kind of fast. Watch this. It was at a well of sacrifice that Elijah encountered the living God who sustained him, refreshed him, re-energized him, re-empowered him to go and do what he had called him to do. Wells are a place of refreshing. Holidays are good. Sleep's important. Going to the gym and a healthy... All of these are important, but none of them take having a well-dug well in your life for that refreshing. When the psalmist wanted to cry out to God, he said, Lord, like a deer longs for streams of living water, my soul longs for you because thirsty people are good well diggers. How thirsty are you? Or do you stock your well up with other things? You know, Jesus, this is amazing. Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman. Where? At the well of Jacob. What does Jacob mean? Jacob means supplanter or deceiver. Jesus encountered her at the well of deception. She was so thirsty. So many men had abused her, rejected her. So many people in her society had downed her. So bad was her self-esteem that she was drinking from the well of deception and she encountered Jesus. I want to encourage you, do not drink from any other well than the well of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. I love calling the Holy Ghost sometimes. I don't know, it just feels more Pentecostal. The fourth thing the wells stand for through the Bible is a symbol. The fourth thing, are you ready for this? Is the point of community. You cannot have a community in the desert without a well. Elim was a point of community in the midst of a dry land because there were wells that had been dug. When you dig your God-given gift, when you dig out what God has put in you, when you live a life that isn't necessarily cool, that isn't, you don't may not be hip, you may not have all these wonderful seeming gifts that the church values, you might just be a quiet intercessor. But when you have a well that is flowing freely, I guarantee you life will begin to build around you. Have you ever been with one of those people and you left like a, a balloon just going, I did deflate, so you're like, oh, I felt good before I talked with that person. Has anyone ever done that? But have you ever been around someone where you're just a bit tired, just a bit rusty, just a bit worn out, just a bit like, Lord, why have you forsaken me? And then you just hang out with someone who's so full of life, so full of joy, so full of grace, so full of forgiveness, so full of kindness, so full of God, that you leave just going, I want to hang out with that person again. I want to be that 
person. Prayer storm needs to be that person. Why? Because prayer storm, as we dig the wells of revival that God has called us to, will become a community and a center of life for everything to sprout. Who will dig these wells? You know, the amazing thing about wells, what I love about wells, is, man, it's just such a great revelation. Wells are a portal to the kingdom of God. Your well is your divine portal to the power of God coming through you. And as long as your wells are blocked up, the divine will not be able to flow in the fullness that God wants it to. Watch this, watch this. Up here, we have the world. The world needs water, amen? 97% of all of the world's water, do you know where it is? It's not an Evian at Tesco's. 97% of all of the world's fresh drinkable water down there. If you dig here deep enough, you will hit a layer of water in the earth. What is between the world that needs it and the water that it needs? The earth. What is the earth? God said, let us make man in our own image. And he gathered together the dust of the earth and he formed man the thing between the world that needs Jesus and Jesus on the inside of me isn't God it is my flesh when I get rid of my flesh my desires, my ambition my likes, all of the things that I want to be seen as, when I live a life that is committed to be a well digger to committing to cut the flesh something can come out of me it is our flesh do you know what, man this is so powerful Psalms chapter 22. Jesus, verse, Psalms 22, chapter 22, verse 15, I think it is. We have the prophetic psalm of Jesus on the cross, and it says, Lord, the dogs surround me. And it says this, they have pierced my hands, and they have pierced my feet. And it's a prophetic declaration of Jesus being on the cross and dying to his flesh and his body. You know what is amazing? I studied that out. That word pierced is actually would most accurately be translated as dig. Jesus is saying, they have dug my flesh. Jesus didn't say they've dug my flesh. Isn't that fun, guys? Jesus says, will you carry your cross? Will you carry, watch it, will you carry the instrument that will dig your flesh too and come and follow me? Because the Christian life isn't a bless me club. The Christian life is a cross club and he is calling us to pick up our cross, to bear the thing that we hate and to die to ourselves. So Paul can say, I am a water offering poured out. Why? Because he also says, I die daily. I beat my body down. I tell it who is boss. Why? Because the moment this flesh gets in the way of my fountain, I will stop pouring out Jesus and I will start pouring out Paul. And if people come to find Jesus and they encounter Paul, they're both going to be disappointed. But he can say, I have been crucified with Christ. I have dug the flesh and it is no longer me who lives, but it is Christ who lives within me. No longer is it my thoughts, my ideas, my abilities, my ambition pouring out of me, but it is the well of living water on the inside of me. Will you dig your flesh? Will you dig your flesh? And I'm not talking about once every Sunday. I'm not even talking about when prayer storm's on. I'm talking about God looking for a bunch of people that will commit 
themselves to the lifestyle of a digger. Commit themselves to wake up early. Why? Four ways quickly you can dig the flesh. Number one, prayer, baby. We're prayer storm. Jude chapter 1, verse 20. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. We could definitely translate it accurately like this. Digging your spiritual well. How? By praying in the spirit. Come on, there's a, we've all been there. We'll be like, oh God, I don't feel like praying. I'm tired. Do I have to get up now? Do I want to go to bed now? Oh Lord, I'm just uh, watching EastEnders or something. Even though it's a rubbish program. That would just be more interesting. Just going online and just flittering my life away by looking at what other people are doing rather than actually living my life. It's so much easier, Lord. Living as a voyager and through other people's eyes rather than actually taking responsibility for my life is so much easier, Lord. But getting on our knees, getting on our face and praying, watch this, until you hit water. Has anyone been there? Has anyone started off poor Lord, I come before you today. Help me. Strengthen me. I'm sorry. I probably had a bad attitude today. I'm sorry I've not focused on you today. And Lord, I just write, five minutes is gone. Okay, I can say I've prayed today. No, I'm going to stay. And you just start praying and you start pushing in and your mind starts to wander. But you just like the Bible says, set your mind on things above, not other things on earth. And you just push in and push in and push in until something begins to just drive in you, burning you, pushing you. You know, there was a point in my life when I reassessed my entire life and I reassessed my faith and I looked at my doubts and I said, no longer am I going to be one of those people that just Christians push away my doubt and just allow platitudes to surface up doubts and fears that I have and pretend that I don't have them. I'm going to look it in the face because if God is not real I want to know now and you know the thing when I came to the bottom of it what I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that God was real and even though I didn't understand it I knew I'd groped something that is bigger and better than me it was because I looked at my life and I knew that when I spend time praying in the spirit something on the inside of me just here begins to well up I can't explain it I don't understand it but something on the inside comes on the outside oh what a joy in my life has anyone ever prayed to the point where you've hit water come on I said has anyone ever prayed to the point where you've hit water has anyone allowed that to be broken up and allowed it to be blocked up yes but I want to ask will you live a lifestyle of digging so that continually you don't stop until you've hit water the second thing quickly is obedience Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 verse 46 He says, anybody who hears my word and does it is like a man who digs. You know, meditating on the word and doing the word are not two different things. They're the same thing with two different actions. God is looking for a people that will allow the word to cut them, to challenge them, to say, okay, God, if this is it, I believe it. Let's do it. Will you dig in obeying the word? You know, the first, the third thing is fasting. Fasting literally means to cover up. What? You're covering up this hole so you can dig that hole. I said you're covering up this hole so you can dig that hole. Your fasting is a declaration of thirst. Your fasting is a declaration that you are so thirsty for God that it is more powerful than your hunger. All the disciples came to that same well in John chapter 4. And they all left. Why? They were hungry. Man, that would preach a whole message by itself. 
They left where Jesus was because they were hungry while Jesus was at the well. But Jesus was hungry also because they said, Lord, do you not want some food? And he said, sure, I'm hungry, but I have food that you know not of. I have my food is to do the will of God because God, because Jesus was so hungry for God, it drove him to the well. Fasting builds a spiritual thirsting in your life. The fourth thing, and I want to finish with this, and I want to challenge you today. Will you dig these wells? Will we as prayer storm just be another cool Christian event with a cool emblem and cool bands and have a fun time? Or will we really be a group of people that will set our face like flint and say, we will dig these wells till death do us pass, baby. If all I do is keep digging and digging and digging, I will dig these wells. The fourth thing to dig these wells, prayer, fasting, obeying the word, and watch this, digging in the wilderness. Psalms chapter 83 verse 4 says this, for they walk through the valley of tears, turning it into a spring. There are people in here that have cried out to God. There are people in here that have wept over this nation, wept over this situation, and I'm here to tell you, when people like Hannah raise up their voice and cry out to God, and tears come down their cheek for their nation, for their people, for their family, for their church, they turn what is a valley into a spring of water. Watch this. This is worth writing down. The wilderness in your life is an invitation to dig. The wilderness in your life is not because of sin. Jesus went through it. Moses went through it. John lived in it. Wilderness is an invitation to dig. You see, when we're first born again Christians, God does a mighty work, and it's just like swimming, isn't it? It's just like everything you do, God's just like, bam, bam, bam. You know, you wake up in the morning, it's like, oh, Jesus, I love you. And slowly the water sinks away. And it isn't that God doesn't love you. It's as he sinks down into the earth, he is inviting, will you come deeper? Will deep call to deep? Will you come deeper in your life? So the worship team are coming up right now. I want everyone to stand up. And I want to ask you to ask God. I want to ask you to allow God to ask you this question. Will you dig these wells? Joseph found himself in a pit one day, but he didn't give up. He kept pushing. He kept obeying God. He kept trusting God. And there are people in here today, in your finances, you're in a pit. In your relationships, you're in a pit. In your feelings, you're in a pit. In your ministry, you're in a pit. There is an area in your life, in something, you are in a pit. And I want to tell you today, don't like, don't give up. But like Joseph, keep digging. Because when Joseph's life came before his father, his last words of his father, as he prophesied over Jacob, the, Joseph, sorry, the man who was in the pit, his father said, Joseph, you are a spring by a well. Joseph didn't give up in the pit. He knew the pit was an invitation to keep digging. Keep digging. And he turned his pit 
into a well. I want you to close your eyes right now. I want you to forget about what's going on around you and I want you to focus on God. And I believe God is challenging some people to tonight to make a commitment as a lifestyle of well digging. I don't want you to make this commitment just because you feel good, just because you thought it was well communicated. I don't want you to do that because if you mean business with God, God means business with you. And I warn you that I've made commitments in my life and then I've moaned and God said, I thought you were serious when you came down the front that time. If you're serious about this, God is serious about this. But we are asking as a movement and the Spirit of God is asking you as a people, will you commit to the lifestyle of a digger?